Well, hey, good morning, everybody. How about them Seahawks? Oh, was that too soon? Little, little, maybe? Little, sorry. Um, my team was out of it about halfway through the season, so. <laughs> um, hey, uh, my name is Nathan Harris. For those of you who are guests this morning, thanks so much for being here. I'm the lead pastor here at uh, Celebration Center, and I'm, I'm excited that you guys are here today. It's, you know, we're, we've entered a new year, 2020. You're seeing all of the, the things all over the place about get 2020 vision and, you know, that kind of a thing. I'm not going to go there. Uh, but, but I'm excited for what we're going to be doing because we're going to be talking about uh, something that's really important. We're starting a new series today called Other. The series we're, call, we're starting today is called Other. And this is important because we live in a time in history when, think about it, there are a lot of things polarized, aren't there? A lot of people, a lot of groups around politics, around even within families, around sporting teams, right? You get a Seahawk fan and a 49er fan in the same room and it just doesn't end well, does it? I mean, polarization happens all around us. It happens in our marriages. It happens in, like I said, in our families. So this is a very important thing because God is calling us to live other. He's calling us to live other. I personally have friends on Facebook who land in uh, different camps in terms of their ideologies. They're opposed to each other. And I have seen these people not necessarily attacking one another, but they're attacking whole groups of people. Just, I mean, it's just putting people into generalizations and all kinds of things and just calling each other things like window lickers and, and it's just, it's nasty. It's really mean and we see this all around us, don't we? We're seeing it whether you're watching on the news, the news stations or, or just listening to the radio or you know, uh, TV at night, it, whatever. We're seeing this everywhere around us. We see it, uh, we see it aimed at, at Christians also. Don't we? At Christ followers. Because as Christ followers, we're not supposed to fall in line with the way that the world does things. So we're looked at as different and we get all kinds of labels thrown at. If you're a Christ follower, you get labels thrown at you. Okay? Things like uh, bigoted or out of touch, archaic, you know, um, uh, fundamentalist. That's, that's one that's, that's, that people are really fond of using. All because we don't line up or we shouldn't line up with the prevailing views of our culture. We encounter difficulties in our relationships, at, at, in our homes, at, at work, even in our own community of faith. I remember a time when my wife and I, we were still dating. She had moved down to the Eugene, Oregon area where I was pastoring at the time and she was uh, living with a family friend and um, we got together one day and we decided to make grilled cheese and soup together. I love grilled cheese. It's really good. I love it. Um, but she came with, with her expectations and understandings of how grilled cheese were supposed to be made. And so did I. And there was a little bit of tension in that kitchen. <laughs> As you can see, we got married. So we worked it out. Okay. I got my grilled cheese. That, that was even greater, right? I mean, that was really good. But we experience those kinds of things in our relationships, don't we? Even with the closest people to us, 
Now, I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom and gloom. I'm, I'm simply trying to paint a very realistic expectation or picture of this very moment of history we're living in. We are surrounded, we are surrounded by different viewpoints. And the way that our culture has decided to deal with that is you are either all for me or you are all against me. If you don't line up 100% with my stance, then you are just a bad, bad person or group of people. That's how our culture has decided to deal with this. This morning, as I said, we're beginning this new series called Other. And our big idea for this series that we're going to really focus on this morning is this. To be a Christ follower means that we live other. To be a Christ follower means that we live other. So for this series, we're going to spend the next four weeks, including this morning, looking at what it means to be other. What does that mean? Does it mean that we set ourselves up above everybody else? Does it mean that we look down our noses at people? What does it mean to live other? We're going to explore this, and we're going to explore it from 1 Peter. We're going to spend this morning and then the the three weeks after this morning in the book of 1 Peter, because Peter talks about what it means to live other. In a culture that, frankly, the the people that he was writing to were experiencing a a lot of, of the kinds of things that we are experiencing now, 1 Peter has a lot to say, and we are not going to be able to cover everything. We just can't. I, I, I could spend probably, literally, I could probably spend 20 weeks in 1 Peter alone and probably not get everything out of it. We're only spending six or four weeks, excuse me. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about some really big picture things. But I've got a couple of things that I want you to do in, alongside with this. First of all, on the back of the message notes, if you don't have them, they're on the stool in front of the, uh, the sound booth there. You can pick them up. Even if you don't take notes, pick one up because on the back side of it is our devotional plan. And we're going to be spending the next four weeks reading through First Peter. Okay? So even though we're not going to be able to cover everything in First Peter in the message, you're still going to interact with it on a daily basis in your devotions if you will do that. Now, the second thing I want to offer is I've got a book that I really, really like. Here's a picture of it. How to Read the Bible Book by Book. This is, a, this is really good. It's a single volume thing. It doesn't cost that much money. You can go to Amazon or your favorite book distributor and you can pick it up. Um, but this has all of the books of the Bible in it and it has a lot of key information. Uh, big picture type things. It, it has what to look for as you're reading through. So you can actually interact more with with First Peter as we go through it than we are necessarily on Sunday morning. And you'll get to you'll get to uh, hear a little bit more in depth through it. So I wanted to offer those two things for you. So getting going this morning, First Peter was probably written by Peter. <laughs> There's some argument about that. Uh, some people think that it was written after Peter. Somebody was using his name to lend credence to what they were writing. 
but chances are it was written by Peter, the disciple we encounter in the Gospels, in the four Gospels, and in the book of Acts. Those are the first five books of the New Testament. Uh, And most likely this letter was written from Rome while Peter was imprisoned there. Most likely somewhere between A.D. 50 and 60. So there's a 10-year span there where Peter probably wrote this. And it was written to a bunch of churches in the area of modern-day Turkey, Western Turkey. Uh, The people who originally read this letter were most likely a mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christ followers who were experiencing persecution from people and groups that they lived around. Okay, so that's the setting. These aren't people living in Rome, but they are living in cities that were probably Roman colonies. Okay, so they were heavily influenced by Rome. And since they were heavily influenced by Rome, even though Rome was not officially persecuting Christians at this time, the people in their local communities were, were persecuting Christians. And so it's in this context that Peter opens up what we have is First Peter. Here it is, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be reading from the NIV. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, go ahead and read or open up there. First Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. Peter says, Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to God's elect, underline that if you can, underline that word, elect, Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All right, so they're spread all out. Verse 2, who have been chosen, underline that word chosen, all right, so they're, they're elect and they're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. That's a mouthful, but it's really cool. Chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. These were people experiencing persecution, people experiencing hardship, And Peter says, there's good news. You're good. God is with you. There was a time a few years ago I was in a funk. I was down. I was, I don't, I would, I don't think I was clinically depressed or anything like that, but I was, I was feeling a little bit down. I was struggling with some thoughts about my own worth about my worthiness, about how useful I was, if, if what I did even really mattered. And in the middle of a staff meeting, a friend of mine who I happened to actually oversee at the church I was working at, she pointed me out in front of everybody at, the, at this staff meeting. And she started talking about how I had done some things for her and how thankful she was for her. She had lost her husband not too long ago. And, and she was just really grateful for the fact that I stepped up and I, I, I stepped in and I asked her, I just sat with her, how are you doing? Is there anything I can do for you? She just felt loved and cared for and so she, she, she told on me. <laughs> 
And you know what that did? That encouraged, I'm a words of affirmation guy. So anytime somebody says, hey, good job, Nathan. I'm like, yeah, all right, I like this. I mean, and there's nothing, nothing sinful about that. That's just how God's wired me, okay? Maybe you, you get encouragement other ways. But in her gift of encouragement to me, it turned my week around. It turned it around. Have you ever experienced anything like that? Somebody gives you a gift of encouragement, something that says you're not alone, you matter, I appreciate you in any myriad of ways, and it it turns your day around, it turns your week around. That's basically what Peter is doing here in these first two verses. I know what you're going through. You are chosen. You are God's elect. As I said earlier, the people Peter wrote to were experiencing some local persecution. And as history turned out, very shortly after this, they would be experiencing official persecution from the Roman government in the form of Nero. If you don't know who Nero was, he was a Caesar and he liked to have garden parties. And his garden parties, they were most often at night, and they were lit by by burning Christians. This was not a fun guy to to, to be around, okay? He was probably literally insane. That's what they were about to experience on a, on, on a, uh, the empire level of Rome. And the persecution that, th- that these folks were facing and would face was based around the fact that they were different. They were different. They were other than the culture around them. You see, they didn't fall in line and worship the the local deities that all of their their neighbors worshipped. And and when their neighbors saw them not worshipping the local deities, the the gods and goddesses that they worshipped, they thought, oh man, These gods and goddesses are not going to be happy with us because not everybody is doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what did they do? They started persecuting the Christians. You guys are bringing bad stuff on us or you're going to. They were fearful because the Christ followers were different. These Christ followers didn't participate in the same celebrations that their neighbors did. Now, some of this had to do with their their religious stance and, and who they were worshiping, but some of it was just based on morality issues. And the kinds of things that were rampant in the Roman Empire and and around the Mediterranean and the way that people celebrated things was immoral. And the Christians didn't get in and do that. And so these people said, you guys are weird. You're different. We don't like it. So they got persecuted. These Christ followers gave their allegiance to a crucified Jewish rabbi. Now, if you don't know anything about crucifixion, other than the horrific, you know, it is a horrific way to die, but it was reserved for a special class of people, for rebels, for people who stood up to Rome and said that, that, that there was a different way of living or, or either for rebels or for uh, brigands, for people who were murderers and thieves and, and all of that kind of a thing. And so the, the people who weren't Christ followers looked at the Christians following this crucified Jewish rabbi and said, you're nuts. Rome's got all the power. Why are you giving your allegiance to, the, to this guy? 
You're different. You're weird. We don't like you. These people were other. They were different. And so in 1 Peter 1, 1 through 2, Peter affirms these other people that though they are experiencing persecution from their neighbors and, and probably even their own families, Peter affirms them as chosen. You're picked. You're not neglected because of God's love for them in Christ and the giving of the Spirit. You see, they may be outcasts in the society that they live in, but they're in the inner circle of God's family. That's what Peter says. This is a breath of fresh air and encouragement for these people who are very weary. Let me ask you guys, is anybody here weary? Anybody here tired? Worn out? Some of you sitting here need to hear this message this morning. God is with you. God is for you. God remembers you in your weariness. In your discouragement, in your stress. What is true of Jesus is true of you if you are in Christ. If you are in Jesus. And Peter lets his audience know this. You're chosen. You're not forsaken. These people have pushed you aside. They're calling you weird. But God has picked you. At the end of the passage that we're looking at this morning, Peter wraps, wraps it up with this. This is 1 Peter chapter 2. So we're skipping down to chapter 2 verses 9 through 10. He says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So Peter just, he reaffirms everything that, he, he, that we just read in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1, okay? So he just sums that all up right here. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Here's the key though. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I was so excited. My boss, who also happened to be my father-in-law, picked me not once, but twice to go on trips with him to Botswana, Africa. I was, I, it was so cool. I loved it. Going to an entirely different part of the planet, literally about halfway around the world, not only halfway around the world, but in the Southern Hemisphere. So when it was winter in Spokane, it was nice and warm in Botswana. A little bit too warm, actually. I was sweating an awful lot, wearing a wool suit most of the time. 
And it was cool. I looked forward to it. We had plans. We were going to get to go, go on, on an excursion and, and, and see some animals. I, I have seen African elephants. I had to jump into a truck so that they didn't kill me. We were broke down by the road and, and, and the, 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 our guide, we heard the trumpet. We saw the, the, the trunk up above the trees and he goes, get in the van, get in the van, get in the van. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> Little aside. We experienced some really cool things, but you know what? The main thing about that trip wasn't about going around the world. The main thing about the trip wasn't experiencing a different place as cool as that was. It wasn't even about seeing the animals and enjoying that. It was about being on a mission. That was the trip. That was the purpose of the trip. Some of those other things were byproducts of this trip. There were tasks I had to accomplish. Things that I had to do before we left, while we were there, and even after we came back. We were on a mission. Peter wraps up the section we're looking at this morning, letting these churches know that they've been chosen for a purpose. That purpose isn't to be able to sit back and enjoy life. Nor is it about withdrawing from the world, letting it go its own way. It'll just, it's going to do what it's going to do and we're, we're going to leave it alone. We're out of here. They've been chosen for a purpose and that purpose is to be on mission. Peter applies to the Christ followers he's writing to the, the very language God used to Israel in Exodus chapter 19 when God chose Israel. This is right before God gives Israel the covenant, the Ten Commandments. He says this in, in Exodus 19 verses 4 through 6. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. All right? So here, God opens up and he says, I picked you, I rescued you, I have been with you. He goes on in verse five. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. God calls Israel his treasured possession. Peter calls believers God's special possession. Okay, same idea here. Although God says the whole earth is mine, in other words, I own it all, it all belongs to me. Verse six, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Peter lifts this right out of Exodus 19 and he applies it to every Christ follower on planet earth. Now here's the thing. Being chosen by God isn't about living a comfortable life. It's not about privilege. It's not about having a special status that gives us access to perks that nobody else gets, like a backstage pass to go hang out with the band. Okay? Being chosen by God is about living a life of loving sacrifice together with the people of God who are in Christ. 
A life that is lived in worship to God while at the same time living out a calling that invites the rest of the world to join us in this life. You see, that's what priests are supposed to do. That's what God describes in Exodus 19, and that's what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter 2. That's the life and vocation God has called us to in Jesus Christ. Remember, for anyone who is a Christ follower, God has already chosen us. He's already picked us. He's already given us his love and made us part of his family. We don't earn any of those things. We don't earn it. We simply join him as his children in the family business. That's what happens. My daughter Abigail loves to help out. She loves it. Sometimes I think she loves it a little too much. We've been having, uh, been inviting people over to our place and, and having some meals with, with folks and it's been a lot of fun. Um, but it's been really fun to watch my, my daughter Abigail because as my wife prepares meals and, and getting ready for people and everything, my daughter wants to help. She wants to get up on the stool. She's, she's at the counter cutting vegetables. I promise for those of you who have been over, she's washed her hands. It, it's okay. You're not going to get sick. My wife's fanatical about that. But she's cutting things. She's helping to measure things. She's, she's being involved. She loves to do that when, when, when she's around me, when I'm cleaning house or she wants a turn with the vacuum. She wants to help scrub whatever. Does she do those things in order to get love from us? No, she doesn't. She's secure in her love for us and she simply wants to join us where we're at. That's what she wants. That's the picture of what's happening here in 1 Peter. And Peter tells his readers that in order to live as we've been designed to, we are to be holy. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16 say this, But just as he who called you is holy... So be holy in all you do, for it is written, Be holy because I am holy. Peter's quoting God there from, from the book of Leviticus. A real page turner. <laughs> but he quotes God, Be holy because I am holy. Now, what do you think of when you think of be holy? Let's be honest, sometimes we think that being holy is about being better, don't we? Let's be honest, we've all experienced people in our lives who have had a holier-than-thou kind of attitude, haven't we? Like they're above, they're better. Sometimes, let's be honest, we've even had that attitude ourselves when dealing with people. We're better than somebody else. Being holy is about being better, but that's not actually what holy means. Holy means, it means set apart. It means different. 
It means other. That's what holy means. It means other. When we're called to be holy, we're called to join God in bringing his rule and reign to bear on earth as in heaven by living in a way that is other than the way of the world. That's what it means to be holy. It's to be other. To be a Christ follower means that we live other. So how do we get there? If that's what being a Christ follower is, and if that's what being holy is all about, how do we get there? How do we go from this place of being already accepted by God? Because remember, we're not doing this to be accepted. We're already accepted. How do we get from being already accepted by God to fulfilling this calling to be this holy nation of, of, of priests, of, of declaring the praises of God in the world, in the world around us and bringing the world to God around us? How, what are the steps? What do we need to do? I think there are three things we can see Peter talking about in this overall passage that give us a really good place to start. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes on your outline, number one is be alert. Be alert. I remember once uh, the, the grade school I went to had a little kind of courtyard in the middle of it. Uh, so it was all the... The building was a square with a big opening kind of in the middle. And um, we, this particular day, it was sunny, it was warm, so we, we didn't have to go the long way through to get to our Spanish class. We could cut across the courtyard. So the teacher sent us out. We're cutting across this courtyard, and I was in this deep, important conversation with a friend. And I'm, I don't know if you've ever done that. You're walking side by side with somebody. I was looking at them. I, drive, I still kind of do this. I drive my wife nuts when I do this, especially when I'm driving. But um, yeah, yeah, um, habit. I, I want to look at the person that I'm speaking to, okay, because I want to have a connection with them. And, and so I'm looking at my friend. I'm talking about something really, really important like G.I. Joe or something like, I don't know. But I'm, I'm so into this conversation that I managed, this was very, very talented. I managed to walk smack into the only tetherball pole out there. Okay? I was so engrossed in this conversation that I, as I'm walking to Spanish class, I turned just in time to smack right into a tetherball pole. This little four-inch diameter thing. I hit it. Man, I'm good. Wasn't even trying. Have you ever done anything like that? Have you had your focus divided so that maybe you said yes to something that you didn't know fully what you were saying yes to? Parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Dealing with the kids, yep, that happens. Maybe you've been so busy on your phone you didn't pay attention to what was happening around you and, and you ran into something or fell down or whatever. Here's what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, verse 13. He says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. With minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, when you think of sober, 
what, what, what do you think of? Not drunk, right? The opposite of being drunk. What happens when you get drunk? Well, you've consumed something, the amount of which has affected your mind, right? And so you are literally becoming somebody else, all right? Peter here says, be alert. Have minds that are alert and fully sober. He's going to expound on this a little bit more, but what he's talking about is not being conformed by the world, not ingesting the world and its ways to where now you're becoming like it instead of you being the change agent within it. That's what he's talking about. Don't let anything distract or dilute you so that you can think properly. That's what he says. How do we do that? How do we be alert? I think to do that, we have to stay grounded in Jesus. If, if we're not going to have the world change us, then we have to be grounded in Jesus. Staying connected with him every single day. Walking in community with other Christ followers who are going to be able to encourage and challenge us in our weaknesses and our struggles. Be alert. Be connected. That's how, that's how you can be alert. Be connected. Stay connected to Jesus and to others on the same journey that you're on, that we are on. So let me ask you, how are you doing at this? This isn't a condemnation question. I'm not talking to you as holier than thou or anything. Because I have to ask myself the same question. How are you doing at this? Are you staying connected? And what do you need to change so that you can be more connected? Think about that this week. What do you need to do to stay alert and sober? To be connected. Number two on your outline that, that Peter talks about. Fix our hope on Jesus. He said, be connect, or he said, be alert. But then he goes on, he says, fix your hope on Jesus. When I was in high school, I remember I was a senior. I played on the football team. Uh, and this was, I grew up went going to a small school. And so you, if, in order to be somebody, you had to be part of the sporting teams, all right? So I got to be honest, that was part of why I even played football is because I wanted to be somebody. This was important to me. Image was important. Not proud of it, just telling you the truth. All right, and so this one day, I was a senior. We were coming up on the homecoming game, so this was a really important game, right? The seniors are all going to be recognized in front of everybody. Um, I had something going wrong with one of my legs, and so I, I made a doctor appointment, went to see a doctor. The problem was I didn't tell my coaches what I was doing. So I missed practice, and they didn't know why. Guess what happened? I didn't get to start. <laughs> My coach told me, you, sorry, you didn't show up. We didn't know what was happening. 
oh man, I was disappointed. I was hurt. I was mad. Have you ever been disappointed because something you wanted, something you thought brought meaning or security to your life didn't turn out the way that you had hoped for? Here's what Peter said. Again, picking back up the last half of 1 Peter 1.13, he says, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Set your hope on the grace that is to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. Peter says, the thing that brings meaning and security to our lives is Jesus and what he will accomplish and nothing else. So let me ask you this, what do you hope in? What's your hope? What is it that you're getting life from? What is it that you look to as bringing meaning and significance to you? If it's anything other than Jesus, then I want to challenge you that, that a change needs to happen. And I'm not saying this to you because I've got it all figured out. Again, I am on this same journey there are things that I still look to, that Jesus is still working on in my heart, where, where I often find that, uh-oh, something has taken the place of Jesus here. And that needs to be rooted out. It needs to be let go of so that Jesus is my only hope. What are those things for you in your life? Is it Affirmation at work? Is it a position? Is it having enough money? Is it your family looking perfect? What is it that you've put your hope in? The only way to set our hope on Jesus is through daily connection with Him and people who are on the same journey we are. Are you beginning to see a pattern here? It's connection. Connection to Jesus and to other Christ followers. Fix your hope on Jesus. That's how we look above. That's how the stuff that's right in front of us doesn't consume us. We lift our gaze so that we can hope in Jesus. Fix your hope on Jesus. Number three on your outline, line our lives up with God's way. Line our lives up with God's way. <clears throat> True confessions. I was once strapping my son Caleb into a car seat. And um, for those of, it was one of those, at the time he was sitting in a five-point harness thing. And um, anybody else ever have car seat harnesses just magically get twisted up and they're not working properly. Okay, good. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, I started getting frustrated because I was in a hurry. I don't know what I was in a hurry about other than to say that I was just in a hurry. I, typically, that's usually how hurry works in my life. It's not that I've got something important to do. It's just that I'm in a hurry. 
Okay? So I was, I'm in a hurry, and, and these straps are not cooperating. And I'm starting to grumble. And I'm getting more and more angry at these straps as, I, as I'm trying to get my son strapped into this vehicle so that I can hurry off to whatever unimportant thing it is that I'm hurrying off to. And I get so frustrated that a word comes out of my mouth. And as soon as this particular word came out of my mouth, it was a word, by the way, that we had told my son that we don't use. Okay? In case you hadn't guessed, my son's eyes get about this big. And he looks at me very solemnly. And there's this gasp where all of the oxygen in the area is evacuated from the air. And he goes, Daddy, we don't say that word. You're right, son. Have you ever said or done something that didn't line up with who you claim to be? Have you ever said or done something that didn't line up with what you claim to be all about. We all have, right? We've all got those stories in our lives. Here's what Peter said. First Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, he says, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I want to pause there for a second. He says, don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. When you had no clue about who God was. When you were living outside of God's family, God's people. Remember, he said, at once you were not a people, but now you are a people. But that means that once we weren't a people. Okay, When you were living in ignorance, when you didn't understand, don't conform to those desires, to those patterns, to those behaviors that you once lived in. You guys, we are surrounded by all of those things. Everywhere we look, everywhere you turn, it doesn't matter what TV show you turn on, it doesn't matter what book you read, we are surrounded by those patterns. Peter says, don't conform to them. Don't just go with the flow. Don't just allow those things to shape you into something else. Verse 15. But just as he who called you is holy, just as he who called you is other, so be holy in all you do. Let me ask you something. What does all mean? What? It means, what? It means, are you kidding me? This is radical stuff. Be holy in all, in everything. Don't leave anything out. For it is written, verse 16, be holy because I am holy. God says, be other, be different because you're mine and because you reflect me, because you're part of me, be other. It's not that we're perfect. It's not that we get life right all of the time. I don't, I'm, 
I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but I can't tell you how many times I messed up this week. I got so much wrong. It's not even funny. Being holy is not about being perfect in the, t- in the sense of not doing anything wrong. Instead, it's about pursuing being changed into the very image of Jesus and adopting God's way of life in all that we do. Jesus said, you have heard it said, to love your neighbors and to hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Be other. The way we begin to do this, and again, here's the pattern, be connected. Connection to Jesus and people who are on the same trajectory we are. They're on the same journey. All of these things Peter has brought up as as how to be other, being alert, being focused, or focusing our hope on Jesus and living, lining our lives up, excuse me, with God's way, they're all accomplished through being connected to Jesus and to others. So here's your homework this week. We're going to look at some specific ways to be holy through the rest of this uh, uh, series, to how to be other. But this week, I've got two assignments for you. First of all, do the devotion on the back of the, your, the note sheet. Take it home. Do it. It's, it's just lined out for five days, and you're, only, you're talking a little bit over one chapter worth of reading. Spread out over five days. It's nothing. Follow the, don't make it difficult. Just follow the instructions on there. The second thing Get connected with at least one other Christ follower. Somebody who's going to be able to encourage you and challenge you, whom you can encourage and challenge. I know um, we have the, the small group sign-up interest sheet out in the foyer uh, in, back in November. Paul Decker and I are, are working on getting a hold of some of you who, who said that you, uh, you were interested in possibly leading a group. All right? And if you are interested, come talk to either Paul or myself. Or if you're interested even in just being part of a group, come talk to us because we want to help get you connected. But here's the deal. Take a step. Take a step. This is your homework this week. You and I are needed in this world. We are needed to live other. In a world that is polarized by opposing ideologies, by opposing politics, As God's kids, we are desperately needed to live a different way. A way that doesn't polarize, but brings love and hope and peace. The very presence of God. So let's live other in every aspect of our lives. I want to pray for you. Jesus thank you that we have hope because of you. That we have a place because of you. That we don't have to earn a thing. Nothing of the, what, what we have talked about this morning is, is something that we have to earn. We don't earn your love. 
We work because of your love. So help us to do that. Help us to live other. God, I pray that you would convict me. Convict me of those areas in my life where, where I'm not living other and where I need to give, give things to you so that I can. I pray that you would do that for all of us here. For every Christ follower in the room here. Help us to live other this week. Maybe you haven't begun your life as a Christ follower yet and you'd like to, you want this love that God has. I'm going to say a prayer, just make it your own. God, I want what you've got. I want your love. I need your love. I pray that you would make me part of your family. Bring me into your people. Bring me into yourself. Make me yours. Jesus, for anybody who made that prayer theirs, just give them your spirit right now. Confirm in them what is already true, that they are your child, that they are chosen, and that you have a place for them. And again, God, for all of us, help us to see areas and ways where we can live differently, where we can live other as your children. In Jesus' name, amen.